In his exposition of Colossians 3, 9, 17, John MacArthur delves into the transformative nature of Christian conversion, focusing on the theme of putting on the new man. MacArthur emphasizes that the passage in Colossians outlines the essential principles for Christian living, which are intrinsically tied to the resurrection life or risen life that believers are granted. This new eternal life necessitates a corresponding change in behavior and lifestyle, a transformation metaphorically described as discarding old garments and putting on new ones. MacArthur enriches his interpretation by citing Chrysostom, an early church father. Chrysostom used the metaphor of animals leaving Noah's Ark unchanged to accentuate the transformative power of Christ. Unlike animals, humans who enter into a relationship with Christ undergo a complete transformation. This transformation is not merely a change in belief or a superficial alteration. It is a complete regeneration, a new life that should manifest itself in a changed lifestyle. To further affirm the point, MacArthur also refers to A.J. Gordon's metaphor of dead leaves being pushed off by new life in the spring. This metaphor serves to assert that the old ways, the dead leaves, are naturally shed when the new life in Christ takes over. The old self, with its sinful behaviors and attitudes, is pushed away by the rising tide of eternal life within the believer. Also, MacArthur draws a parallel with Ephesians 4.17, where the Apostle Paul uses a different but complementary analogy. Paul urges believers not to walk as the Gentiles do, but to put away the old self, which is corrupt, and to put on the new self. MacArthur even mentions an ancient Roman punishment for murderers, where the dead body of the victim was strapped to the perpetrator to illustrate the corrupting influence of clinging to the old self. In summary, MacArthur's interpretation of Colossians 3, 9, 17 serves as a compelling call to action for Christians. It urges them to live out their new, transformed lives in Christ by shedding old, sinful behaviors and adopting new ones that align with their renewed, eternal nature. Moreover, MacArthur delves into the concept of the new man in Christ, focusing on how a Christian should live post-conversion. He outlines the transformation into four key areas, the position, progress, partnership, and performance of the new man. The position refers to the believer's new status as a creation in Christ. The progress is the ongoing spiritual growth and renewal in knowledge. Partnership speaks to the unity among all believers, transcending cultural and social boundaries. The core of the sermon is on the performance of the new man, which MacArthur defines as the lifestyle a Christian should adopt in response to God's grace. He lists several virtues that should characterize this new life. Tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, forbearance, and forgiveness. MacArthur highlights that these virtues were groundbreaking in the context of the ancient world, particularly among the Greeks who did not even have a word for humility. Furthermore, MacArthur discusses the theological foundation of this transformation. He argues that Christians are not just individuals who have made a personal choice to follow Christ. They are the elect of God, chosen before the world was created. This election 
is part of God's grand eternal plan. Therefore, failing to live a life characterized by these virtues is not just a personal shortcoming, but a violation of God's eternal plan and purpose. He concludes by challenging the audience to self-examination. If one is truly a new creature in Christ, their life should reflect this transformation. MacArthur urges believers to put on the new clothes of Christian virtues, aligning their external behavior with their renewed internal nature. The sermon serves as both a theological exposition and a practical guide for living a Christian life that is consistent with being a new man in Christ. In addition, MacArthur delves into the Christian virtues of forbearance and forgiveness using biblical references to indicate their significance in a believer's life. Starting with forbearance, MacArthur clarifies that it is not merely about tolerating someone, but involves a deeper sense of enduring under difficult circumstances. Whether it's facing persecution, insults, or any form of hardship, forbearance means to hold out and hold yourself back from reacting negatively. MacArthur suggests that this is a godly quality, implying that enduring hardships gracefully is a way to manifest divine qualities in one's life. He contends that there is always a divine reason or purpose behind every challenge, and it's up to the individual to display this godly endurance. Moving on to forgiveness, MacArthur states that it goes a step beyond forbearance. He cites the example of Jesus Christ, who not only endured the suffering of the cross, but also forgave those responsible for his crucifixion. MacArthur refers to Matthew 18.22, which advocates for forgiving someone 70 times 7, essentially an infinite number of times. This, he says, is the starting point for forgiveness. Further, MacArthur maintains the collective aspect of forgiveness within the church community. He introduces a Greek reflexive pronoun that translates to forgiving each other or forgiving yourselves, indicating that the church should be a corporate forgiving fellowship. This collective forgiveness should not only be internal, but also extend to those outside the church community. He concludes by pointing out that Christ serves as the ultimate model for forgiveness. Christ's forgiveness is complete, unconditional, and freely given, irrespective of whether we deserve it or not. According to MacArthur, these virtues of forbearance and forgiveness are not just ethical guidelines, but essential qualities that define the new man in Christ. They are simple yet profound attributes that every Christian should strive to emulate, and the best way to understand them is to study the life and teachings of Jesus Christ, who exemplified these virtues in their purest form. Besides, MacArthur employs the metaphor of clothing to describe various virtues such as compassion, kindness, humility, and meekness. He suggests that these virtues are like garments that the new man should wear in their spiritual journey. However, the crux of his message is that love serves as the belt or girdle that holds all these virtues together. Without love, these virtues risk becoming empty gestures or mere moral posturing, devoid of authentic spiritual value. MacArthur reiterates that love is not just another item on a checklist of virtues, but is the essential force that gives meaning and authenticity to all other virtues. He debates that you cannot genuinely be compassionate 
or humble unless you love others. If one tries to exhibit these virtues without love, it becomes a form of moral performance, which is not only difficult to maintain, but also fundamentally inauthentic. This is because love is not something that can be faked or forced. It has to come from a genuine place within, guided by the Holy Spirit. Echoing the Apostle Paul's words in Romans 13, MacArthur states that love is the key to fulfilling the law. He repeats the idea that all the don'ts that make up the law can be encapsulated and fulfilled by this singular virtue of love. He concludes by underlining that love is a fruit of the Spirit. This means that true love can only be manifested in one's life through a relationship with the Holy Spirit. It's not a virtue that can be generated through human effort alone. It's divinely inspired and sustained. In summary, MacArthur's central argument is that love is the foundational element that ties together all virtues and fulfills the law in the Christian life. It is the ultimate expression of Christian maturity and should be the focal point in the life of the new man. Additionally, MacArthur focuses particularly on three priorities outlined in verses 15 to 17. These priorities are 1. Letting the peace of Christ rule in your hearts 2. Allowing the word of Christ to dwell in you richly and 3. Making the name of Christ the central issue in everything you do. MacArthur's sermon is a comprehensive guide on how to live a Christ-centered life with a particular emphasis on the role of peace. The first priority, letting the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, is dissected in detail. MacArthur explains that the term peace has dual meanings. In Greek, it refers to a treaty or agreement, while in Hebrew, it signifies an attitude of rest or security. When one accepts Christ, they enter into a peace treaty with God, ending the spiritual war between them. This peace should act as an umpire in one's life, helping to make decisions that are aligned with Christ's teachings and one's commitment to Him. Also, MacArthur discusses the emotional or psychological aspect of this peace. He suggests that when faced with decisions, one should consider whether the options bring a sense of inner calm and rest. This inner peace serves as a secondary umpire, guiding choices based on emotional and spiritual well-being. He goes on to say that the primary reason mature Christians avoid sin is the knowledge of how it offends Christ, with whom they are at peace. The secondary reason is the emotional discomfort or guilt that sinning brings. MacArthur disputes that these two considerations should guide behavior and decision-making for Christians. Moreover, MacArthur concludes by underscoring the importance of gratitude in maintaining a peaceful heart. He suggests that constant thankfulness to God can help sustain the peace of Christ in one's life, which in turn fosters unity among believers. In summary, MacArthur's sermon serves as a practical guide for Christians, urging them to let the peace of Christ be the ultimate umpire in their lives, guiding both their decisions and emotional states. Furthermore, MacArthur delves into the concept of letting the word of Christ dwell in you richly, a phrase that he unpacks with great care. He starts by examining the term dwell, using its Greek equivalent to explain that it means to be at home. For MacArthur, this is not a superficial relationship with the scriptures. Rather, 
the Word of Christ should be as comfortable and integral to one's life as one's own home. He likens this to being filled to the brim with the Word, so much so that if one were metaphorically cut, they would bleed Bible verses. MacArthur outlines a four-step approach to engage deeply with the Word, heed it, handle it, hide it, and hold it forth. These steps, he argues, are vital for the Word to dwell abundantly in one's life. Heeding involves listening carefully. Handling refers to studying and understanding. Hiding means internalizing. And holding forth is about sharing the Word with others. In addition, he draws a parallel between being filled with the Word and being filled with the Spirit, stating that both lead to similar outcomes. These include teaching, admonishing, and singing which are seen as the natural responses to a life dominated by the Word. MacArthur emphasizes that the impact of the Word dwelling richly within you is twofold, informational and emotional. On the informational side, one gains the wisdom and understanding to teach and admonish others. On the emotional side, one experiences a sense of joy and happiness that manifests in singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. MacArthur concludes by stressing that every action, whether in word or deed, should be done in the name of Christ. This is not just a guideline, but a way of life, a constant act of giving thanks to God. The sermon serves as a comprehensive guide for anyone looking to deepen their relationship with the Word and, by extension, with God. Last but not least, MacArthur simplifies the complex tenets of Christian living into a single powerful directive. Do everything in the name of Jesus Christ. This encapsulates the idea that every action, word, and deed should be consistent with who Jesus is and what he would want. MacArthur contends that when you put on the new man, you're essentially putting on Christ himself, adopting his virtues, ethics, and moral compass as your own. To illustrate his point, MacArthur shares poignant anecdotes. One story involves Dr. Guy King, who was walking on a beach when a child referred to him as the Jesus Man. This moment raises the question of what it means to truly resemble Jesus in our daily lives. Another story is about a poor servant girl who encounters a kind stranger and begins to worship him, asking if he is Jesus. These stories serve as powerful illustrations of the transformative impact that embodying Christ-like qualities can have on others and how it can lead people to question if they're in the presence of Christ himself. The sermon concludes with a heartfelt prayer, urging the congregation to aspire to be Christ in the world. MacArthur accentuates that the world is in dire need of seeing Jesus Christ, and this can only happen if individuals make a conscious effort to live their lives in accordance with his teachings. Further, he extends an invitation to those who have not yet accepted Christ, stating that they can become new creatures through faith and acceptance of Jesus as their Savior. In summary, MacArthur's sermon serves as a compelling call to action for Christians to live a life that not only glorifies Jesus, but also allows others to see Christ through them. In conclusion, MacArthur provides a comprehensive guide for Christian living, focusing on the transformative nature of conversion and the concept of putting on the new man in Christ. He breaks down this transformation into four key areas, position, progress, 
partnership, and performance. The position refers to the believer's new status as a creation in Christ, signifying a radical change in identity. Progress is about the ongoing spiritual growth and renewal in knowledge that a believer should experience. Partnership affirms the unity among believers, transcending all cultural and social boundaries. The core of his sermon is on performance, which outlines the virtues that should characterize a Christian's life, such as kindness, humility, and forgiveness. Besides, MacArthur delves into specific Christian virtues, particularly forbearance and forgiveness. He disputes that these aren't just ethical guidelines, but are essential qualities that define the new man in Christ. He asserts that love is the foundational element that ties together all virtues and fulfills the law. Without love, virtues risk becoming empty gestures. Additionally, MacArthur outlines three priorities for Christians. One, letting the peace of Christ rule in their hearts. Two, allowing the word of Christ to dwell in them richly. And three, making the name of Christ central in everything they do. He elaborates that this peace should act as an umpire in one's life, guiding both decisions and emotional states. To let the word dwell richly, he suggests a four-step approach. Heed it, handle it, hide it, and hold it forth. MacArthur concludes by simplifying the complex tenets of Christian living into a single powerful directive. Do everything in the name of Jesus Christ. He debates that when you embody Christ-like qualities, you not only glorify Jesus, but also allow others to see Christ through you. The sermon serves as both a theological exposition and a practical guide, urging Christians to live a life consistent with their new identity in Christ.